This live stream is sponsored by Larson Farms, Idaho's finest alfalfa. For the best hay all year long, get Larson Farms. From a single bale to a train load, Larson Farms has all the hay you need. Welcome to the Horse Talk Show. You never heard of a talking horse? With your host, Louisa Barton. I want to be a famous rider. Presented by Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. Truth is, I help horses with people problems. Now here's the Brit with the bit, Louisa Barton. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Welcome to the Horse Talk Show presented by Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. Thank you to Larson Farms. They're our broadcast sponsor, Idaho's finest alfalfa. I'm your host, Louisa Barton. In the studio with me today, I have my co-host, Paulette Stout. I did fail to forget to mention to her not to wear a green shirt. We do have a green screen in the studio and today, especially, she is a floating head. <laughs> Anyway, it happens. It's okay. It's actually the first time it's happened on this show. I'm very excited to introduce a very special guest today, joining us by telephone, uh, a famous Brit here in the U.S. Um, we have seen him at some of the uh, biggest races. He's won the Kentucky Derby. Um, he is uh, truly, he and his wife are horse lovers. They love the thoroughbred industry. And uh, I'm going to share a little bit about the TCA, that is the Thoroughbred Charities of America, and uh, what an incredible organization it is, um, you know, fighting for the horses and looking after the people who are such a big part of this industry. And I, I'm just thrilled to welcome him to the show, uh, Graham Motion. Thank you for joining us, Graham. Thanks for having me, Louisa. So you grew up in England. Love to hear a delightful British accent on the show. Grew up in, uh, in Newmarket. Uh, moved to America when you were about 16. We've had incredible success in racing. Talk a little bit about, uh, obviously, a big success for you, Animal Kingdom in 2011 when he won the Derby. Tell us a little bit about your career. Yes, yeah, so I, I finished, much like yourself, I finished my O-levels in England, um, which is a, a level that you sort of get to of examinations. And uh, my parents were always in the horse business. My dad actually worked for Tattersalls, which is the auctioneer company in England. And uh, we moved over here because of horses. And I'm so lucky that we did. Uh, my mom and dad had a farm in upstate New York when we first started here. Um, I went to school in Connecticut. And eventually, after spending a year in France uh, working on a, on a horse farm, and then for Jonathan Pease, the trainer, where I met my wife, um, I settled over here and worked for Jonathan Shepherd and started training on my own in Maryland um, about 25 years ago. So, and feel incredibly fortunate to have trained a, a, a Derby winner, as we would say. Yes, a Derby, I know. <laughs> English people say to me all the time, don't you say Derby? And I say, yes, except to Americans. <laughs> I'm still, I still struggle at the drive-through windows, believe me. So <laughs> yeah, It's something you don't get over, I think. But, uh, no, I mean, it's, you know, to come over here and be able to win the, what's the most prestigious race with this amazing horse, Animal Kingdom, that I was just so lucky to have. 
Oh, it's incredible. And he's really a, an amazing breeding stallion as well. So um, a thoroughly wonderful career that he had and uh, excited to see uh, uh, more of his, uh, his babies. Uh, talk a little bit to us about how you got involved with the TCA. So Dan Rosenberg, it must be at least five years ago now, uh, asked me to join the TCA, uh, the Thoroughbred Charities of America. Um, and it was right at a time where I think there was becoming more and more awareness of how we need to take care of thoroughbreds once their racing careers are over. And I think the racing industry as a whole has taken tremendous responsibility for finding second careers for racehorses, which is so important. And the TCA has been a huge part of that, as long, uh, along with many other organizations. So I was very proud to join the organization. Um, it's something that uh, my wife and I feel very passionate about uh, in rehoming horses who, you know, sometimes have short careers and sometimes they go on to run as eight-year-olds, such as Ichabod Crane, who was actually one of our first sort of mm -hmm. um, maybe high-profile horses that we retired. That went, he went on to Philip Dutton and won the the very first thoroughbred makeover. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, was such a a neat thing and I think it just brought so much attention to the makeover and now it's become this huge event which I don't know how many uh, horses it attracts every year but it's a, it's a vast number and it's strictly for thoroughbred horses who can perform any any other aspect um, whether it's polo or um, you know show jumping or, or anything. That's what I want exactly. to do. I need one. And Ichabod Crane won the very first one. He's now, uh, mm. I believe he's now 14, and, and Philip Dutton's daughter still competes on in, in, in events, which is really neat. We've that gives me the goose pimples. I love to hear stories like that. That's so fantastic, isn't it? How wonderful. And, and he, he was actually third in the Preakness, so he was a very, you know, very successful racehorse. Just had a, a lovely disposition, very kind horse um, that was kind of a barn favorite at the time. That's fantastic. Those kind of stories are really heartwarming. Um, why is it so important to you um, to see, well, first of all, to share with the world how versatile the thoroughbreds really are and how many different careers they are actually, um, you know, good for? I mean, there's so many different things. I've seen them do everything from barrel racing to um, show jumping and eventing and, and been incredibly successful. Why does it matter to you so much um, as a successful trainer in the thoroughbred world to see these horses go on and have a future career? Well, first of all, I mean, they are so generous to us, you know, as racehorses, they are so generous. They try so hard. I mean, they love to race uh, in general, horses do. They love to compete. It's something they do from the very early stages. You see weanlings and yearlings racing against each other in the paddock. So I, I do feel like racing just sort of brings that out in them. Um, but when, when I see the horses be so generous to us, I feel a strong responsibility to make sure they do have second careers because obviously they, they can't race forever. Um, so it's just something that I think we have become very aware of, my wife and I, and I, I give the industry a lot of credit. I think, I think as an industry, we've become very uh, aware of the fact that they need to go on to other careers. And it's not always, you know, Ichabod Crane is a little bit of an exception to the rule. You know, I've sent up teen horses to Philip Dutton and they, they don't all turn into mm -hmm. top 
class three-day event. It's just <laughs> not that easy. And, and Philip's very, uh, very matter-of-fact about it. And if, if they're not made out to compete at that level, you know, then we find another career for them, whether it's um, being a, a lady's mount uh, hunting in the winter or um, for a, a teenager who might be a show jumping have aspirations to be a show jumper so there are, there are lots of ways to, to to find other careers for horses especially in the area that we live in in, in maryland and pennsylvania that's true and actually we're sharing some wonderful pictures if uh, if you're listening on facebook um we actually are sharing some wonderful uh, photos of horses um post their race career having a uh, quite successful that one's at the ocala jockey club mm -hmm. lovely um the wonderful photos of them uh, having very successful careers naturally a lot of the um eventing shows like the jockey club actually pay a bonus out to the winning thoroughbred uh, which is i think absolutely phenomenal because that just really encourages people uh, to you know to get those horses and to get that breed involved in other sports so uh, so we love to see that uh, over the past 28 years the tca has actually provided over 23 million dollars in grants to more than 200 thoroughbred related organizations graham can you just mention uh, how the tca helps um, two-leggeds as well as four-leggeds yeah, this has actually become a big part of what we do, partly because there are now so many groups uh, helping retired horses that I think we, as a TCA, felt a responsibility to help the employees. Um, so many people dedicate their lives to looking after the thoroughbreds. Um, so, uh, you know, the TCA has taken a responsibility, whether it's backstretch workers or farm workers, and, you know, now we donate a significant amount of, fun, of our funds towards taking care of the employees. And actually, um, we're working with uh, Darley on an exciting new app that's going to be, the, the backstretch employees are going to be able to use it whenever they're traveling with racehorses. And mm. it's going to be an app that they can use to find the doctor or to find a, a priest or or anything you know off the wall that they might need on their travels they're going to be able to go to this app whether in california or florida and and find the person they need to to go to to seek help and i think that's a really cool idea and this is something the tca has gotten behind how lovely that is especially for a lot of the um the immigrant workers that come here that might not have a total grasp of of the language yet you know and, and that workforce is certainly a workforce that we we need in the horse industry so how wonderful that they might you know if they might have a a difficulty you know they might be new here and have a difficulty finding things that they would have a a way of being able to quickly get get mm. what they need so i think that's absolutely phenomenal um, and a little mention also for kroger shoppers um, and for also Amazon Smile, um, both of those are actually um, ways that you can help the TCA. Uh, the, uh, the Kroger Plus Rewards actually gives um, a portion of the money uh, to the TCA and Amazon Smile, if you sign up for that, um, also donates a portion to the TCA. So there's a couple of organiza organizations there that can actually um, help as well. Graham, uh, we're almost at the end of this segment. Just um, uh, quick question, uh, what did you think of the Triple Crown uh, races this year? A little crazy, huh? <laughs> it, it was crazy, but that's what racing's all about. Know. You know, it's, it's not predictable and it's not meant to be easy to win the Triple Crown. And, you know, there's a reason that every trainer in the, in the country 
wants to win the Derby. It's, it's just not easy. So no. <laughs> you know, I feel incredibly fortunate. And I, you know, certainly it had its trials and tribulations this year, but, you know, ultimately they were amazing horses that won each, each leg of, of the races. And, you know, the fact that it was not without controversy is like any sport, I think. Uh, you know, there's, there's always going to be a referee or a steward that, that can change the face of a, a race or a game and that's just part of sports it certainly is you're right and I, I think it was nice that the focus was on the disqualification and off the santa anita for a while i was just relieved that uh, that, uh, that 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 people sort of left that topic alone for a little bit so uh, that was good news but it's wonderful that we have people like you and your wife in the industry um, we're so glad to have an organization like the tca um, and we'll put that logo up for you one more time on the screen here so you can uh, you can see it. That is the Thoroughbred Charities of America. And that is um, charities that are helping not just the horses, but all of those people that we are always sharing with you on the Horse Talk Show that are behind the scenes working so hard to make uh, this industry be successful. And it's people like Graham Motion and his wife that uh, take the time to help these horses uh, after their racing careers. So we're just, uh, we're thrilled, Graham, to have a chance to chat to you and have you on the show. Uh, we wish you all the best in your career and, uh, and we'll love to stay in touch with you and see how the, uh, the TCA is progressing. But they're a, a wonderful 501c3 organization. And uh, Graham, have a wonderful uh, evening, the rest of your week, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having me, Louisa. And just as a side note, we still have our very first stakes winner at Fair Hill. It was a horse called Gala Spinaway, who's I think 32 years old now. So, <gasps> wow! Uh, it's you know fun to keep these guys around. They they love the action. They love to be around the stables. I've I've got you beaten by two years. My horse is 34 and has been with me for 26 years. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. It is. The old ones are fabulous. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me, Louis. Yes. Thank you, Graham. And thank you for all you and, uh, and your wife Anita do. It's, uh, it's a labor of love and um, it really shows that your heart is truly with the horses. It's not just all about the money. It's, um, it's about the success that uh, we can bring those horses, the, the careers that they have, that they love to run. You know that they love to run and then to be able to go on and make sure that they have a, a future career, whether it be a, a trail horse or a top eventer, uh, or in fact, to win the thoroughbred makeover. It's, uh, it's wonderful that we have people like you in this industry. So we appreciate you very much and wish you all the best. Well, thank you so much, Louise. You're so right. We all get into it because of our love of the horses. So thank you for having me. So true. Gray emotion. Thank you very much. Louisa Barton for the Horse Talk Show. Earth Song Ranch is not just for horses. We're here for your kitty kids and puppy pals too, and for their humans. We carry a line of dehydrated whole foods for dogs and cats and our own line of probiotics and digestive enzymes for them as well. We carry longevity minerals and supplements for humans. We walk our talk and we're all about a more natural approach to health for animals and humans. Visit us at earthsongranch.com or on Facebook, come and like us. Trust the Equine Veterinary Hospital, the leading thoroughbred horse farms of Marion County, Florida, trust. Trust Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital, serving Ocala, Florida since 1981. Peterson and Smith provides state-of-the-art and leading veterinary care to meet every horse owner's needs, whether it's one horse or hundreds. We specialize in sports medicine, surgery, reproduction, and general medicine, and have the largest ambulatory fleet in the southeastern United States. The most successful thoroughbred farms in Marion County trust Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. Shouldn't you? Visit us at Peterson Smith.
You're listening to the Horse Talk Show. Welcome back to the Horse Talk Show, presented by Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. Thank you to our broadcast sponsor, Larson's Farms, Idaho's finest alfalfa. I'm your host, Louisa Barton. In the studio with me, I have a floating head. <laughs> if you're on the radio, not Facebook, you won't get it. My co-host is in the studio with me for Let's Doubt horse trainer uh, extraordinaire and uh, I guess I forgot to mention too her don't wear green because we have a green screen I have a wicked green so now she has a wicked green shirt and uh, she looks like a floating head so if you want to go to <laughs> Facebook at the horse talk show uh, you can see it for yourself uh, it's worth looking gonna start off with some uh, news congratulations to Mark Cassie Cassie racing uh, he beat himself in the Belmont Stakes. Cool. <laughs> uh, actually, I told him the only reason I was going to the Belmont is because he was in it and he was probably going to win it. And he did win it, but he didn't win it with the horse Wow, War of Will. He won it with Sir Winston, a good British name. Rather exciting. I was thrilled to get a chance to go to the barn and visit with him right after the race. In fact, I was the first person at the barn when he and War of Will came back from the testing barn. I was standing there and um, got to see them walk the shed row and cool off and it was so neat and I was thinking War of Worlds following Sir Winston probably like oh my god <laughs> I know and you know they know when they didn't win but uh, but congratulations to O'Callas Mark Cassie absolutely thrilled to see him win two legs of the Triple Crown uh, races this year and I said to him okay here we go Derby 2020 now you've just got to win the last one. And that was Mark Cassie's, uh, the Preakness was Mark Cassie's first win of those three. And, uh, and then he did it again in the Belmont. So um, interesting triple crown series this year with uh, the disqualification. Well, good I mean, oh, yeah, two horses. Sure. Yes. You? Wow. It's phenomenal. Awesome. Uh, the funny thing is that the exercise rider told me right after the race, um, I got to see him in the barn and he had the, he had the flower blanket and I got a flower from the blanket. Um, and he said to me yesterday morning, I was sitting on Sir Winston and Mark looked at me and said, you might be sitting on the Belmont winner. How did that make you feel? And I thought, oh, wow. wow, I guess that makes you feel pretty cool when you're the exercise rider. So uh, still in racing, Fox Hill Farms, Omaha Beach, who uh, was super popular to run in the Derby with Mike Smith aboard and had to be uh, pulled out for an entrapped epiglottis, uh, actually was, has been recovering for the last couple of months. And he is now scheduled finally to arrive back in California by plane before re returning to his trainer, Richard Mandela's barn, and to begin his training career again. So I'm not sure when we'll see him at the racetrack again, um, but they've been continuing to scope him and check him to make sure he's fully healed and not rush him back before he was ready. Uh, he scoped A-OK, -okay, and um, it was a slow healing, but they were very patient with it and he's healed and we're excited to see him back because he certainly was the exciting horse to watch this year and um, we'll be ready to see him run again hopefully in the next few months and uh, definitely in the Breeders' Cup I think which would be nice to see. Uh, in a motion to dismiss Gary and Mary West's lawsuit disputing the disqualification of homebred maximum security as the winner of the Kentucky Derby, the Horse Racing Con Commission in Kentucky has filed a motion to dismiss the complaint saying that the West's action threatens 
to turn the two most exciting minutes into sports into a tedious, protracted litigation. Wow. wow. They're saying that he doesn't have grounds um, to file uh, in the courts and um, that he agreed when he signed all the forms at the Kentucky Derby that he would not appeal the decision of the stewards. Uh, so we'll wait and see what happens in that. Um, the Wests believe that they have a right to be in court and uh, they also believe that their rights uh, were not uh, met at the in this particular occasion. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and, um, and what the courts decide to do about that. Um, Diane Feinstein on Monday again called on Santa Anita Park to immediately suspend horse racing there where very sadly 29 horses have died or been euthanized since late December. Um, they're calling for the Stronic Group uh, who owns Arcadia Park along with the thoroughbred owners of California um, that racing uh, be suspended but the Stronic Group have said no they're going to continue to the end of the meet which is about another week um, and then of course the Breeders' Cup is scheduled to be there um, in uh, November so we'll see what happens um, certainly prayers and thoughts out to anyone connected to any of the horses uh, that have lost their lives there there is no real explanation a uh, number of changes have been made as far as medication and whips and examinations um, and proper checking of the horses but um, it has, doesn't seem to have slowed, well, it has slowed, I don't want to say it hasn't slowed things down. They say it's a 50% improvement at least, um, but any loss of life is too much. So um, we aren't sure uh, what the next step will be there, except I think Ocala needs to have a racetrack and uh, let all those trainers come here. Uh, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a good plan, <laughs> a good right? <laughs> the first two cases of um, paralysis in horses caused by tick infestation has been reported in the United States. I know most of us have probably heard about dogs Yes. Uh, getting that, which is actually quite scary mm -hmm. if you don't know why your dog is suddenly paralyzed and then you find a tick. This is actually the first, um, first two cases that we have of this, miniature horses actually. Um, were invo involved and um, started with hours of difficulty with um, walking to weakness that progressed to actually not Did being able to rise. Did they find out one or two or many? A lot. Yeah. Yes, there were a lot. Yeah. And of course they, they were Where small. were they? Um, In the out. ears? Oh, no, I think all over. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so after examination um, and after the ticks were removed, um, the horses were okay. But uh, since this hadn't been reported previously, except in Australia, apparently, um, where they have all sorts of large yes. insects. <laughs> I always found them in the ears of horses, yes. and, and people thought I that, know. that was kind of unusual. But no, I, I, I think that's, a, I actually have a fly mask on my horse that mm. has ears to prevent that, because that is yeah. where you quite often find them, and there's so many things associated with ticks that mm -hmm. aren't good that mm -hmm. you just don't want them in your horse's ears. So yeah. um, so just to note that, um, and, and again, it might be because they were smaller horses, but just to well, note you know, that Well, you know, I have guineas on my farm, and you know what? Guineas are loud. Everybody complains that they're so loud, but guineas eat 4,000 ticks a day. That's, that's their favorite meal, is a tick. I want a guinea. So I have guineas. Why are they loud? What kind of noise do they make? I don't know. They're kind of like watchdogs. So anything that goes on, they, they, I don't know what their sound is. But they, You can't make the sound? No, I can't. <laughs> but on. the females, they call we it. We need some guinea they sound. They call it buckwheat. Really? You know, because it's like, it sounds like they're saying buckwheat. 
Interesting. But their favorite, and that's why I have them, is because of Lyme's disease. And the Lyme's disease that we've heard about, you know, it's, you know, one, like you said, one case is too many. It is. And Lyme's can be serious. And yeah. then, and also um, in, in animals and in people, but also there's a number of other tick-borne diseases yeah. as well that are very mm -hmm. serious. Yes. Moving over to show jumping, Canada's Eric Lamas has made an impressive comeback to win the 500,000 RBC Grand Prix of Canada at Spruce Meadows. That was in Calgary at the weekend. I have two two uh, Gypsy Vanners that I sold to people in Spruce Meadows. Really? Yeah, they do the carriage there. Oh, do they? Yeah. How nice. Yeah. In his first competition since publicly revealing that he has actually been battling a brain tumor for the past year and a half, he scored one of the most meaningful wins of his career when he and Choco Kid topped a seven-horse jump-off in a dramatic fashion. Jumping clear, in a time of 46.25 seconds, he moved into the lead with two riders to follow. 2018 World Cup champion BZ Madden of the U.S., had the time, 44.62, with coach, but had a rail down at the final Rolex fence. Uh, so congratulations to Eric Lamars, and our prayers are with you dealing with that um, health issue. Uh, wow. Very serious. This was very emotional for him. Lamars sure is 51 was. and shows, uh, he says, it shows what a good horse can do for you. When you don't have the fight in you, they fight for you. It's one of the victories I will cherish forever. Aww. I thought that was rather nice. The world's first equestrian statue of Queen Elizabeth II, a Canadian <laughs> work commemorating the 40th anniversary of her reign, is to be inaugurated at its new location this week. Canada's Governor General Julie Payette, Governor General of Canada, will inaugurate the Queen Elizabeth II uh, equestrian monument right in front of Rideau Hall's main gate on Sussex Drive. Uh, the statue, unveiled on Parliament Hill in 1992 by Queen Elizabeth II in honour of the 125th anniversary of Canada's Confederation and the 40th anniversary of her reign, depicts the Queen in her favourite place, astride her horse, Centennial. I think that's rather nice. It is nice. Don't you? <laughs> we always love to tell you about the Queen. I love somebody that's still riding. And, you know, you see pictures of her grinning. It's so, it's so traditional. She's grinning at President it's Trump. She's grinning at horse yeah. races. Yeah. She's grinning at horse competitions. And she's grinning on her horse. Yeah. I it's, love it. It's traditional. What a there. wonderful woman she is. Yeah. Hey, really quick before we close this segment. You Australia. are going to tell us about well, you know the oldest you, horse. You learn everything on Facebook. The oldest horse in Australia, his name is Clipsal, and it's a little paint-type horse, and he's 50 years old. Wow. 50 years old. 50 and they hand-feed him, old. and he was wearing a blanket, and the lady was interviewed, and of course they still love him. Of course they do. 50 years old. That's incredible. I can only hope that my 34-year-old <laughs> would do the same. That is the news segment this week on the Horse Talk Show. Thank you for joining myself and my bodiless co-host, <laughs> Paulette Stout, this week in her green shirt. Uh, I guess we'll have to get you a, uh, a different color shirt. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I'm Louisa Varton for the Horse Talk Show. Seminole Feed is a family-owned company always striving to exceed your expectations with our dedication to customer service since 1934. Seminole is one of the few companies today manufacturing fixed formula horse feeds with mindful monitoring of our production process to keep our nutrition safe for your horse. Using only quality ingredients and superior formulas made in an all-natural, non-medicated feed mill right here in Ocala. Seminole Feed, simply the world's best. 
Earth Song Ranch is not just for horses, we're here for your kitty kids and puppy pals too, and for their humans. We carry a line of dehydrated whole foods for dogs and cats and our own line of probiotics and digestive enzymes for them as well. We carry longevity minerals and supplements for humans. We walk our talk and we're all about a more natural approach to health for animals and humans. Visit us at earthsongranch.com or on Facebook, come and like us. Trust. Trust Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. Serving Ocala, Florida since 1981, Peterson and Smith provides state-of-the-art and leading veterinary care to meet every horse owner's needs, whether it's one horse or hundreds. We specialize in sports medicine, surgery, reproduction, and general medicine, and have the largest ambulatory fleet in the southeastern United States. The most successful thoroughbred farms in Marion County trust Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. Shouldn't you? Visit us at Peterson Smith. Hi, this is Hall of Fame jockey Mike Smith. We're listening to the Horse Talk Show. Welcome back to the Horse Talk Show presented by Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. I'm your host, Louisa Barton, and I have in the studio with me Dr. Abigail Kent from Peterson and Smith. And we've done a few segments with her, and uh, the last one that we did, we were talking a little bit about post-surgery, and um, I learned some new things, uh, interesting tips for, uh, you know, after you get the horse home, even paying attention to the instructions from the veterinarian and the techs uh, before you leave, asking lots of questions, um, as many as you need to, uh, to make sure that you're taking care of the horse the best you possibly can. Um, what I want to talk to a little bit now uh, is post-castration and also then your issues of confining a horse. Um, it's often very important to confine a horse after a surgical procedure. How important is that post-castration? Um, post castration, I'd say that's the one surgical procedure that doesn't, it doesn't need to happen. It's best if it doesn't. Um, Better if you let him out so he doesn't think too much about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, very true, very true. Yeah, so they need to get out and exercise. They, um, like if we have them in the clinic, um, we don't typically keep them for that long, but sometimes owners prefer us to do the post-op care completely. And yeah, they'll be out in round pens and things and we'll be lunging them. and. That exercise is so important. We want to keep those incisions open, any drainage, to let it drain. Um, and um, yeah, it, it is very important that they do exercise. You don't want, really want any swelling there. So movement really helps with that. I mean, they always swell a little bit and they might have a little bit of drainage at the start, but typically um, within 24 hours, the drainage is pretty much stopped and we don't really want too much swelling. So, so moving around is, is a good thing? Yeah, moving yeah. around for the castrations and then also cold hosing them. So those two things combined are pretty much like, if you want your castration to go well, that you have to be on top of that. And that has to be done like every day, twice a day for like two weeks. And um, So it's a couple of weeks recovery totally to get back to normal? Yeah, so they can be ridden and things. I would just say like they can't really like just be rested after until like two weeks. Yeah. Hmm. So moving around is good for that. Yeah. I mean, we've seen um, infections like three or four weeks post-op. So even at that stage, things can happen. Um, but by that time, they're normally closing up and, and somehow an infection's got in there and they've ended up coming back to the clinic. But yeah, two weeks, you'd expect, if everything's going right, it should be going okay at that point. Good to know. Um, so let's go to issues of confinement. So um, a horse, obviously, uh, most horses, and there are some show race horses who stay in the stall all the time, probably quite used to being confined. But the majority of horses um, do get let out for a portion of the day, and some are out in the pasture 24 hours a day, and that's what they're used to. So how difficult is confinement post-surgery? 
Yeah, it really depends on the horse's temperament. That can sometimes be linked to the breed and it can be sometimes be linked to like what their job role is or what they've been used to doing. But it can be a handful. It can be hard to deal with. Um, I guess like typically what I would first start with is having a neighbor or a companion like in the stool opposite or in the stool next to it. So it kind of knows it's not alone um, to see if that helps calm things down. Because yeah, they're in a stall for a reason, so you don't really want them running around that stall because right. they might as well be outside. Um, sometimes if things do get bad, then definitely bring up that problem with the veterinarian. If they say it's okay to perhaps go into a round pen and the horse does better out there, then you know that might be okay. Um, but I, I wouldn't take that step by yourself. I would definitely consult somebody before that, but that might be an option. Um, and then if it really is an option, there are things like medications we can give that horse that are kind of like long-acting um, sedations, um, something like reserapine or something like that, ACE, um, they're the two that are most commonly used. They tend to be like two, one, two, three times a day medications. Um, and it may be that you have to start them on that so they get used to being inside and then so you can like, adapt. yeah, we and, and might not necessarily have to have that anymore. Yeah. And then things like um, making the stool environment nice for them. So um, sometimes horses like toys in there. I was going to say toys. <laughs> I was at the OBS sale. Niall Brennan had little pink teddy bears hanging outside all the stall oh, doors yeah. <laughs> for the horses to play with because yeah. they're you know, bo more bored than normal, not on their normal routine. Yeah. So yeah. toys can help. Yeah, definitely. And then toys that have little bits of treats in them definitely can help too. Yeah, like there's those one balls. that rolls around yeah. the stall and the treats drop out. My horse used to love that. So. <laughs> and that can help. Yeah, that could definitely help. And then even just like not necessary treats, but they're routine hay can be hung in like something like a slow feeder so a, a nibble net that means that they just they only get small mouthfuls but they've got food in front of them all the time so they're like more likely to yes. stay entertained and they're actually it's more like grazing to them too because they're not just getting a huge meal in one go they're going to constantly graze in their stool for maybe yeah. 12 hours right yeah so that's good yeah that's another but keep them busy kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, and it buffers their stomach if they're eating all the time because obviously something you worry about with stress is getting something like gastric ulcers and there's preventative things for that like um, ranitidine or putting them on a preventative dose of um, gastrogard or ulcergard. And that can um, prevent, you know, problems further down the line if they're horses that get super stressed in the stool as well as making sure they have access to um, hay and water all the time. Uh, is it necessarily sometimes to cut back the diet a little bit too if they're going to be confined like that and they're not exercising and getting out? Yeah, so what we typically say is something that you don't really want very much um, of their diet to be anything that's gas producing because they're not going to be, they're not out as much, they're not exercising as much so they can gas up a little bit easier. So they can get gas colic more commonly and they can get impactions more commonly because they're not moving as much. So. In terms of diet, um, we do feed them a little bit of alfalfa in our clinic just to keep them a little bit soft and keep them um, move, keeping their guts moving. Um, but the majority of their hay is just a nice grass hay, like a ONA or something like that. And then in terms of their grain, they probably don't need as much grain because you don't need to fatten them up unless they're like recovering from something like pneumonia, where they have no, had a medical weight loss. Yeah, right. then they'll need something. But you want to pick a safe grain, so we pick something like a senior that's low in starch and high in fat. So the low in starch is very low in starch is very important, and um, so we try and make sure that they're not on a sweet feed. Like we highly recommend no sweet feeds, and then yeah, we really like the equine senior kind of diets. Right, makes sense. And uh, mm -hmm. the other thing to think about too is like ventilation. 
you know, if you have a horse that's used to being outside a lot, um, you know, keeping some ventilation in the stall so it doesn't get so dusty and, and hot. Is yeah, it, hot, you know? the heat is a big problem. You might find out that your horse is a non-sweater for the first time. Right, <laughs> it gets the heat. <laughs> yeah. so it's much yeah, better if it's heat. got some yeah, ventilation. Yeah, definitely. Um, if it's the warm part of the year, fans. Yeah, uh, yeah typically I think in Florida, most horses in a stall will need a fan. Um, they can get very hot in there and yeah, it's very important, their ventilation. And yeah, as you said, like heaves and things like that, if they do start to get some kind of like increase in breathing effort, you might want to think about um, changing their bedding, like if they might need shavings instead of straw or something yes, like that. Yes, that might make sense. And then uh, there's always light walking as well, as long as your veterinarian, um, you know, uh, has given you the okay that the horse can be hand walked. Yeah. You know, perhaps some regular hand walking around the farm, even taking them if they're allowed to graze, you know, taking them out to, to graze a little bit and walk around outside and yeah, get out of the stall for a little while if, if that's something that's recommended. Yeah, there's probably going to be very few times when we don't say that they can't go on a hand walk, even if it's just a hand graze, which just means take them to the pasture, hold them and let them graze. Like um, we pretty much let most horses do that. Um, I guess like even if they have like a foot cast on or something, I'm pretty willing for that horse if it's dry outside to walk to pasture and graze and then walk back again, obviously, if it's not too far. Um, it, it is mainly if, they're car if they have a cast on that they might not be able they, to. That would be when they would be immobile, but yeah. otherwise nice for them to get out of the yeah. store. Yeah. So really curbing boredom, like toys yeah. and things like that. Uh, like you said, a rolling ball with treats if they're allowed treats at that point. Um, keeping the store well ventilated, hand walking most of the time if recommended. Um, and um, nice bedding, comfortable, clean surroundings and um, just keeping them in as close to their normal environment yeah. as, as you can, which isn't always possible for a horse that's maybe turned out all the time, but kind of keeping that day rolling along, yeah. regularly checking on them and that yeah. kind of thing. Looking out for the possibility of a gas uh, colic or an impaction, Passion, which yeah. are probably what you see the most. Yeah, yeah, we definitely do see that, especially because sometimes I think even if like horses are laid up because they've had something done that's a little painful or something, then they might even walk around the stall a little bit less and then um, yeah, they're definitely prone to impactions. So, um, yeah, we definitely see that and they'll be needing some oil and some fluids if that happens. So, yeah. and, it and encouraging them to drink water as well. Yeah. Um, because that's something else they do a lot less of when they're confined. So trying to encourage them maybe with some electrolytes. Yeah, or people have like definitely some... good ideas. Like yeah. Yeah, tax shops have definitely good things to try and like make that water a little bit more exciting. Yeah, for them. a little bit more interesting, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Well, we, we've covered a lot and um, it's certainly good to have some great ideas uh, for confinement after surgery. Some uh, a great place to go, actually, if you can find most of those things is Tax Shack of Ocala. <laughs> <laughs> they have almost all of it. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank you, Dr. Abigail Kent, so much for being with us on the show and uh, so much new information. So we really appreciate it. Hope you'll come back soon. Yeah, it's great. Dr. Kent from Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. Uh, great uh, updates, a lot to uh, learn. We can always learn a lot in the horse world. We'll be back on the Horse Talk Show in just a few minutes. Stay with us. Trust the Equine Veterinary Hospital, the leading thoroughbred horse farms of Marion County, Florida Trust. Trust Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital, serving Ocala, Florida since 1981. Peterson and Smith provides state-of-the-art and leading veterinary care to meet every horse owner's needs, whether it's one horse or hundreds. We specialize in sports medicine, surgery, reproduction, and general medicine, and have the largest ambulatory fleet in the southeastern United States. The most successful thoroughbred farms in Marion County trust Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. Shouldn't you? Visit us at Peterson Smith. Hi, I'm Don Emmerich, CEO of All In Removal. 
All In is a leader in both manure removal and shavings deliveries here in the horse capital of the world. We offer hands down the best service along with the lowest prices of anyone. Now, please don't take my word for it. Put us to the test. I'm so confident that we can save you money compared to any competing service that I will personally guarantee it. If we can't save you money, I'll give you a gift card for dinner at a restaurant of your choice. Call us today and experience the all-in difference. Whether in the arena or on the trails, Ovation helmets are designed to keep you cool and comfortable. Choose from styles like the Sync, the Deluxe, the Protégé, the Eclipse, the Quantum, and more. Styles with removable liners and reinforced ventilation panels for hot Florida summers. For the lightest and most comfortable helmets on the market today, check out Ovation Helmets at EnglishRidingSupply.com or get fitted for your perfect new helmet at Tack Shack of Ocala. Hi, this is Hall of Fame jockey Mike Smith. We're listening to the Horse Talk Show. This live stream is sponsored by Larson Farms, Idaho's finest alfalfa. For the best hay all year long, get Larson Farms. From a single bale to a train load, Larson Farms has all the hay you need. Welcome back to the Horse Talk Show. You never heard of a talking horse? Well, listen to this. <laughs> With your host, Louisa Barton. What does it feel like to be in love with a horse? Presented this hour by Palm Chevrolet, your hometown Chevy store. Now, here's your pretty, pretty Louisa Barton. You're fab, you're switched on, you're a bit of all right. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the second half of our show this week presented by Palm Chevrolet, your hometown Chevy experience. Thank you to Larson Farms, our broadcast sponsor, Idaho's finest alfalfa. I'm Louisa Barton, your host of the Horse Talk Show, in the studio with my co-host, Paulette Stout, trainer, top equestrian, and today, bodiless model. <laughs> uh, she is a floating head. If you're joining us on Facebook, then uh, you'll see that she overlook the fact that we have a green screen yeah. i guess i never told her you can't wear a green shirt yeah. uh anyway it's a lovely shirt so we decided that um it was better than shirtless for this particular <laughs> uh show so um if she looks a little strange today that's why we call this the ps segment ps you should be listening to paulette stout who has a guest today uh and i'm gonna let her do the intro and tell us about gypsy vanners Thank you very much. I really appreciate this. This is a moment that um, we've been waiting for. Joyce Christian is on the phone. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Paulette. Hi, Louisa. Lovely to have you with us. Thank um, you. Today uh, is, a, is a, a day that we've been waiting for, and the Gypsy Vanner Cobb Horse Foundation is now a nonprofit uh, foundation, and it's based on uh, education. And Joyce, would you please tell us about this foundation? Um, yes, I will. Um, our foundation has been a long time in the making. Um, right now, currently, uh, throughout the world, there are eight different breed registries that monitor and manage horses coming from the gypsy culture. And over the last several years, there have been a group of us that have been talking about a real need to develop further educational programs. 
And just recently, a group of us ladies got together and decided to make that a reality by forming the Gypsy Banner Cobb Horse Foundation. And what we're doing is we're looking at the population of horses and ponies that are generated, that have been generated by the Gypsy culture since 1950, specifically in Ireland and England, but now uh, they're continuing to grow in other countries throughout the world. And our mission is to open the lines of communication among all of these current existing organizations working on behalf of these horses and ponies, but this time taking a different approach and using science and history and research to better understand this whole population and look at them and determine if we really have a breed or maybe more breeds, and at the same time developing educational programs that support and encourage the recognition of these horses and the people who love them. Yes, it's, a, it's about breed recognition and how a breed um, develops. And Joyce, um, we both have um, talked about this and how a breed develops, and she has done a, an extensive amount of research with uh, some breed developers and some educators to how you would concentrate genetics and develop a breed and have predictability in breeding them so that you wouldn't have, um, say, like, what do you call it? The offshoots, the um, throwbacks. You have well, more you predictability. Have, you would you would have more. You would see more consistency uh, across the board and less variety. Yes. And how we got together originally was I had been doing, you know, showing Oz, and I did an exhibition with him. And people from Columbia had seen him and wanted me to go down and teach. And so they wanted history and they wanted also how to train the horses. So I contacted Joyce about doing history. And so she's been um, studying these horses for almost 20 years. Is that correct, Joyce? Yes, well, I, so I that's got started the, that's in around the historian 1995. Part, yes, right. that's the historian part of it. And she's been studying about breed development and how you um, keep, what would you say, explain that for me, Joyce? Well, when I when I came across this horse, um, my daughter, I was living in Germany. I worked for the Department of Defense Education Activity, and we were stationed there. And my youngest daughter took riding lessons in a local German riding school, and one day she invited me to this horse show. And suddenly the back door of the arena opened, and this horse came in, and it was a horse like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I'm sure, Louisa, you remember the first time you saw a Gypsy Banner horse, and, and you're you're like, oh my, what is that? Um, Incredible. And that's, exact, and that's exactly what happened to me. But because I am a trained educator and because research and looking at things and, and trying to determine where they came from and how they developed was important to me, I didn't understand, you know, why I was looking at a horse. Here it was in the 1990s, and this was a, a horse I'd never seen. So was it a breed? Was it a crossbred animal? You know, where did it come from? And as I began to ask questions, I found very few people who could answer them for me. And so this set my mind going on, I've got to do a study into this. I've got to learn about the gypsy people because they are the people who created these horses. And I've got to study them to see if indeed they're simply crossbreeding animals or have they deliberately or maybe even happens in a happenstance sort of way created yeah. a brand new breed. How, how difficult, Joyce, is it to um, to trace back history on this breed when you're talking about not just across the pond, 
but you're talking about across the pond and then into the gypsy culture, which are not the easiest people to kind of break in with, you know, to make friends with and to be, you know, they're, they're a more distant culture uh, as far as outsiders go and probably even more so um, as an American perhaps. So how hard is that to kind of get in with them and then how hard is it to get then back in history because I don't know what their record keeping is like, but I mean, they didn't have, you know, Apple, DNA everything or then, anything. no, no and DNA and, mm -hmm. and all these other things. So, you know, is it, is it very hard to track all of that back and, and get history that you need? Absolutely, it is. Uh, Louisa, you have hit the nail on the head. Um, first of all, the gypsy culture, you know, they're not a culture that typically had, had been involved with reading and writing and, and keeping records. And I know that you have spent a great deal of time visiting with Dennis Thompson <laughs> and the work that he and his wife Sandy did. And, you know, my hats are off to them <laughs> uh, because I came across these horses right about the same time that the Thompsons did. But what, when I discovered that they had actually established a registry, I got really excited because <laughs> you couldn't find people who could answer those questions. And when I came across the Thompsons and their research, it meant the world to me because it validated so much of what I had already encountered and that being exactly what you said. The gypsies are very private. They were a very secluded culture. They did not want to share information about themselves or their horses. And unfortunately, the program is too short for you to, for me to tell you the yes. whole story behind yes. Bandit, the horse that yes. I'm sharing with you today. But to make it as, as clear as possible, to this day, I do not know the name of the man that I bought him from. And this is in Germany. So she is parallel with Dennis. So she's in Germany doing this stuff, and she bought two of her, you bought two of your horses in Germany, right? Yes. So How interesting. Now, just for our listeners, um, Dennis Thompson, who um, Joyce has mentioned a couple of times, is actually the owner of Gypsy Gold Farm and Gypsy Gold Farm Tours, and he actually brought the first Gypsy Vanna to America, mm -hmm. and he actually got the breed registered, yep. and he now has the number one thing to mm -hmm. do mm -hmm. on TripAdvisor in mm -hmm. Ocala, Marion County, mm -hmm. and also like number 12 or 13 mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. in Central yeah. Florida, including all the Disney parks. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting, and he has gypsy yeah. vanners that yeah. you can actually go and, and meet and see and yeah. touch, which is incredible, and they're beautiful, yeah. incredibly beautiful. Yeah. But it's just interesting that you There's know, the parallel. two worlds were like, yes, yeah, so they were they were parallel yes. in their hunting down the breed. Yes. Yeah. And so she she has been um, very much in the beginning and has a lot of history with this. And and with this foundation, when we when we went to Columbia together and we had this seminar, I did the, the on hands judging and the handling and she did the historian part of it. It it was an over the top, unbelievable uh, clinic that we did. It was wonderful. And we knew then that we should combine our efforts. And so she has written two books. And before I knew it, she had used Oz in her book. So we were we were kind of paralleling stuff. Can you explain that, uh, Joyce, with the book that you had? Yes. And it goes along with what Louisa had asked me earlier about, you know, how you track a breed. Um, when I when I started this, Louisa, I, I didn't know anything other than the fact that I was, you know, mesmerized by this beautiful animal. Mm -hmm. So I began to look into breed, how breeds develop, what was the history behind well-established breeds. 
and I came across the work of Dr. Philip Sponenberg and Dr. Donald Bixby, and they wrote a wonderful book called Managing Breeds for a Secure Future, and it kind of became my Bible um, because I read it, and it made so much sense to me because they had done a tremendous amount of research on rare breeds. That means lots of different animals, not just horses. And they had developed kind of a process that you have to go through in order to recognize that a group of animals actually has reached, you know, certain nets, certain criteria to be classified as a breed. And when I began to look at this, and then I took that process and put it down, and I looked at what I was learning about these horses coming out of the gypsy culture, I got really excited because it made sense all of a sudden. It made sense as to what had happened to the gypsy culture uh, based on how their lifestyle had had to change based on governmental and economic changes within Ireland and England from the years between the, after World War II forward. So you see these things happening to this culture and then it those had a direct impact on the breeding choices that they made. So when I started looking at this, it made sense to track that. And then when I came across the Thompson's research where they had actually looked at one horse and tracked his heritage, and the way they did it was not through written records but through oral histories. Yeah. And they sat with these incredible gypsy men who were, you know, according to the culture, they were the best respected breeders of the day. And yeah. Dennis and Cindy were welcomed into their camps and they were able to talk about their horses. And from those oral histories, you began to hear names of animals that had played a part in those breeding choices that had brought them forward to the horse that had captured Dennis and Cindy's attention. So and, incredible. Joyce, so, I, Joyce, we're coming towards the end of this segment. Okay. I, I, uh, we would love to hear more. We'd love to have you back on the show again. It's um, it's fascinating what you've uh, what you've done and uh, and the and the wonderful yes. histories and uh, thank you so much to uh, Dennis and Cindy and, and to Aaron Mahoney now yeah. who is um, continuing on also with Dennis with the Gypsy Vanners here in Ocala. It's just really exciting. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your knowledge with us. Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity. Thank you, okay, Joyce Christian, talking about the incredible Gypsy Vanner horses. Uh, so popular here now in America and uh, and continuing to to be a horse we see in a variety of different sports uh, even on the trail they make uh, wonderful horse friends great pets great uh, great for dressage jumping yes. we've seen Paulette and see and that's what we're on. tracking with this is the foundation getting the the history and then tracking the horses on how they perform and like Oz and being able to um, educate the public about these horses and what they can it's do. wonderful we yes. call this the P Yes, you better be listening. That's P.S. for Paulette Stout, my co-host and a wonderful trainer and uh, rider of Gypsy Manor Horses. And thank you to Joyce for joining us. I am Louisa Barton for the Horse Talk Show. It's hot out there, so come on in and chill out at Tack Shack of Ocala. For every $50 you spend, receive $10 in Tack Shack store bucks. So beat the heat with one-stop shopping. Horsey or not, and earn $10 for every $50 you spend from now until August 25th. So come on in, cool off, and shop at your favorite and newly remodeled dog-friendly tax store, Tax Shack of Ocala, where the champions shop. Tax Shack of Ocala, the horse lovers can.
Attention, North Central Florida, Palm Chevrolet, the area's number one volume Chevy dealer, is pre-qualifying customers for new cars without using a social security number. That's right. We don't need your social to get you qualified for a new car. Simply log on to palmchevrolet.com, enter your name and address, and instantly get your credit score, interest rate, even your payment on any new Chevy in stock. This will not affect your credit score. Log on to palmchevrolet.com and get pre-qualified now. Or visit Palm Chevrolet, Southwest College Road in Ocala. Find new roads. Whether in the arena or on the trails, Ovation helmets are designed to keep you cool and comfortable. Choose from styles like the Sync, the Deluxe, the Protégé, the Eclipse, the Quantum, and more. Styles with removable liners and reinforced ventilation panels for hot Florida summers. For the lightest and most comfortable helmets on the market today, check out Ovation helmets at EnglishWritingSupply.com or get fitted for your perfect new helmet at Tack Shack of Ocala. This is Hall of Fame jockey Gary Stevens. You're listening to the Horse Talk Show. Welcome to the Horse Talk Show presented by Palm Chevrolet, your hometown Chevy experience. I'm your host, Louisa Barton, thanking Larson Farms, our broadcast sponsor, Idaho's finest alfalfa. In the studio with me, co-host and horse trainer, Paulette Stout. And we also have a special guest, Laureen Lockhart from Run for the Ribbons Horse Shows. Paulette, just as an explanation, and for your joining us on Facebook, appears to be bodiless. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a deliberate act. That is me forgetting to mention not to wear a green shirt because we do have a green screen. Anyway, we decided we'd just enjoy it and she would be part of the entertainment today. <laughs> Laureen, welcome to the show. It's Thank lovely you. to have you with us. I'm glad to be here. Talk a little bit to us about, first of all, what Run for the Ribbons is. Run for the Ribbons, we actually started as a thoroughbred only hunter jumper show. Um, moving down here from New England, I got down here and I saw like the lack of the lack of classes and like incentives to ride a thoroughbred down here. It was very competitive. I I felt as a rider on a thoroughbred, it was hard to find a show where like you could be competitive on a thoroughbred. And that's where I came up with the idea. Is you know I knew being in the racing industry like that there was an aftercare issue, and I thought this would be a great way. Like we have a show for thoroughbreds and. You know, the first year was rocky. The first few years were maybe rocky. But now we've got a really good following. And the show series has actually expanded to an aftercare program where we have seven horses that are retired in the program. We care for them. Some of them are rideable and adoptable. Others are just there for life until living out a happy retirement. That's and then um, three years ago, we actually expanded to start the Florida Thoroughbred Expo. And we're going into our third expo this year. We've moved the date to December and we're really looking forward to it and hoping it can be the best year yet. And we're hoping to give out a lot of prize money and really create a demand for the thoroughbreds down here in Florida. Has, has the numbers gone up over the years? <clears throat> um, our first year, our first year was funny. We gave out a lot of prize money. We gave out 36,000 the first wow. year. Wow, that's and a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot. And it was like, I think a lot of people were skeptical, like, are they gonna pull us off? We had been doing the Hunter Jumper shows successfully for four years. And so like a lot of people knew us and we knew that we put on a good show, but this was a lot different. It was eight different disciplines where we had only done Hunter Jumper shows. And I don't know anything what about- What disciplines were they? Um, the show hunters, show jumper, dressage, cross country, um, barrels, polo, yep, polo, barrel racing. I remember watching the ranch, barrels. freestyle. Oh, wow. oh, it was awesome. It was like it was wild, and like I knew a little bit about other disciplines, but 
they weren't my focus. And so it was scary to like, okay, now we're going <laughs> to do all these disciplines and get judges and coordinate everything. And so it was a learning experience, but it was a huge success. We gave out $36,000 and we had 29 horses there, professionals, amateurs, juniors. It, it was just a great show. And then going into our second year, um, because we had we had kind of given away more prize money than we actually were able to raise that first year. We lowered the prize money um, for our second year down to 8000 which gave out $1,000 for each discipline. And we still saw the attendance almost triple. We went from 29 horses year one to 76 horses in year two, Fabulous. even with the prize money drop. So we were like really hopeful, you know, everyone had a great time. Like it was just, it was really cool to see it all like come together and know that going into this year, there's just so much promise, and I know that, like, I know it's talk yeah, about it's the, like a, talk a about big the, deal. It's it is cool. a big deal. Talk about the process to get ready for the thoroughbred makeover <laughs> that you're doing here in Ocala. Are there, are there rules to how long you can have had the horse, how long the horse has to be off the track, yes. and the training and that sort of thing? What, what plays into that? So for our expo, last year, the first year we had done it strictly, they had to be within three years off the track. Um, Last year, we opened that up to an open division and a restricted, where any horse that didn't meet three years off the track or, or less was able to compete in the open division. And it was really cool adding that aspect because the first set of classes, it was, say, the hunters, they'd go in and it was the green horses that had been less than three years off the track, and you saw them. And it was, they were nice horses. They were well prepared, good riders, you know, great atmosphere for them to compete in at that level, but not too much pressure. And then the next class and group of horses in the ring were these horses that had been, you know, had gone through the A circuit and had, wow. like, su successfully shown already. So it was so cool to see, like, how far they can go, too. Like, mm -hmm. how good they are that soon and then, like, how far they can really go, too, with, you know, the right future and, like, the right, and just being in the right hands. It was cool. <laughs> I bet you see a, a lot of success stories, right? I do, yeah. And, like, that's what keeps us going. It's not, it's, you know, like, you do it because you love it at the end of the day. Like, if it's a I labor found, of love. Yeah, it's a labor of love. Like, we're not in it, you know, we are all volunteers. Our entire program, other than, like, the judges, those are self-contracted, but our entire staff is volunteer, and we do it because we love it. Like, it's fun. Like, you know, it was supposed to be, like, a little hobby thing. Like, we'll put on the shows, <laughs> but then it grew into this, and now it's now it's, like, a job that we all work for for yeah. free i'm sure <laughs> i just say my radio show started out as like a little hobby yeah like a hobby yeah. and it just like <laughs> but it's like we see the difference and like we see that we're appreciated and like that's what makes it like helping these horses in knowing that we're appreciated by the owners of these horses and like the, the thoroughbred owners like it's just it's worth it all at the end of the day because i know we're making a difference and i I owe everything to the thoroughbreds that's like nice. at the end of the day so this is really a good um a program and i'm the, the makeovers are really good and will develop into something. And I know from showing hunters, you always had the uh, non-thoroughbred classes or thoroughbred classes. Well, those got so small that because the warm bloods took over. Yeah. And so really it was <clears throat> become a warm blood market and the thoroughbreds were going by the wayside. Yeah. Like unappreciated, which actually, yeah. uh, and not to down warm bloods, I love warm bloods too. I love yes. all horses, but, but they're a bit more like, I don't want to say a deadhead because that sounds <laughs> terrible, but they're a bit more, you know, duh. And, <laughs> and thoroughbreds are, uh, you know, are much more, I think, 
alert and I think you get more energetic to me, yeah. a lot more energetic yeah. and to me I get more of a reward personally mm -hmm. from the thoroughbreds mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. I do from the warm mm -hmm. bloods I had warm bloods growing up mm -hmm. and 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 jumped and, and whatnot and I have actually had more bond more relationship yeah. with thoroughbred horses that right, I've worked right. with and ridden because to me they're more responsive right, I guess right, that's what right. I want to say yeah. they're right. more responsive to your interaction with them right, in my yeah. opinion right. you know maybe different with different horses but that's my my they're experience so well, the yes they're they so are intelligent they get they everything really they know what you're asking they're, they're so you know, intuitive they are they and, and more of a bond more able to have a bond with them because you do feel that response they're more sensitive they're more sensitive they are. yes and so they will react to you more and they're incredibly talented yes i mean when you watch well, them it, in the race i mean when they're racing anything. i mean the turn of foot they have the determination and you know some people who saw um boat express run by himself in the preakness a lot of people i've heard say oh he ran because he was scared da, da, da. initially when he ran out of the gate sure he was spooked he was scared his rider was off he was you know he was in this race on his own and, and yeah sure he was spooked to start with but halfway around, well, even I would say even eighth of a mile or so in, he wasn't spooked anymore. His ears aren't back. His <laughs> eyes aren't wide. He's like, man, I'm running. Yeah. I yeah, mean, they love the it. You know, they <laughs> yeah. love it. They yeah. love doing and they love yeah. rewarding and they love, um, you know, giving you what you want. They, that's and, what hard is. Yeah. Because even with the, the cross country and endurance, I mean, they're going to give it all. They're going to yeah. keep yeah. on going. They do. They don't quit. They do. No, they don't. Yeah. They're, they're determined they're resourceful mm -hmm. they they love the reward of doing yes. what you want right. there's just so many things you can do and, and actually it was laureen's show expo that i actually saw my first thoroughbred run barrels and i had never seen it's, that before and yeah. i'm like there's several yeah. of them that are really good this at that. is cool yeah. these horses can do yeah. anything well, the quarter horse racehorse has a lot of thoroughbred in it, or they couldn't run. They couldn't do the 440 if they didn't put the thoroughbred back in them. Right. So it makes sense that the fact that there are thoroughbreds that can do barrels, and I do know of thoroughbreds that have been rodeo horses. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I do too. Yeah. So they've got yeah. the one guy, um, Dale Simonton, up in Gate, Gate to Gray, and he does that. He turns them yeah. into ranch horses, and like yeah. he got one yeah. from my, he didn't get it directly from my grandfather, but it was a horse my grandfather had, and he somehow got it and. Like when I got connected to him through um, Summer from Trot, he was like, hey, he was like one of the best. He said he ended up having to ride him for like 12 hours straight. He said, but when he was done with that horse, like the first day of it being a disaster, he said he was the best ranch horse he had ever had. And yeah, he had him for a long that, yeah. time and he said he would do anything. And that guy swears by thoroughbreds. He, he They're very his reliable when you have them trained. You know, yeah. very reliable horses. That's true. And then yeah. you see them ponying. I mean, look, you see them ponying horses out to the racetrack at yeah. some of the top races. And you're like, yeah. you know, and they're yeah. quiet. And, and actually, a lot of times they're calming to the horse they're ponying. Absolutely. You know, because they're being sedate. Yeah. And it just, it really shows that you can... You can take them out of racing and put them into They're really so versatile. Well, the yeah. horse they can just the turn the page and yeah, like, and new, new career changes so much. And people, you know, they, it, things can become fatty, and then and then some things go by the wayside. And the thoroughbred did in the hunter world to a degree, and now you're seeing the comeback, the comeback because yeah. they're developing the right classes for them. Yeah, the incentives. And, yes, yeah, and like the, incentives, the Kentucky makeover yes, has been huge. Absolutely, yeah, the and there TIP needs to be program. more incentives because it's a great breed and it needs to come back i agree mm -hmm. so um so you're you're planning on having a couple of hundred horses and this is going to be in december <clears throat> yes our big we have um 
for the summer we're doing the Twilight Jumpers, which will be just jumpers. It's Friday nights starting at 6 p.m. out at the farm. Nice. So we do our 100 jumper shows all at the farm, which is where the retired horses are and everything. And, um, and where is that at? It's in Morrison. Morrison? Yep, just past, like, Goldmark Farm on 464B. Uh, oh, so really? So it's, like, really conveniently, like, right mm -hmm. in the middle of Hitson World Equestrian mm -hmm. Center. Mm -hmm. um, and then we do the 100 Jumper Show. We have one more show for this year's series, which will be our fifth season. That'll complete it in October, which is fun. It's We have a, um, a Halloween class. Mm -hmm. So, like, I last year we had a huge costume class. There was, like, 20 horses in it. It was really fun. And then our expo is December 6th to the 8th. So that will be at the Florida Horse Park. That's the one that we do the there because Park. it offers the multi-disciplines instead of just the 100 jumpers. And this year we actually added the OTTB and hand class. So that's going to just be like a model class or showmanship. Oh, awesome. It will. It's kind of cool because we're going to have um, part of it be actually like a written test where there's going to be general horse knowledge questions too. So it's kind of to promote the people that have a retired thoroughbred that maybe wasn't riding sound that's just sitting in their pasture, but keep mm -hmm. that horse looking good, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. take good care of them, you know, and just mm -hmm. that way we're educating people too on like the proper care for mm -hmm. like what an off thoroughbred requires. Because mm -hmm. they can be, they can be funny, you know, they're, they're coming out of an environment where every day they're worked with hands-on, like mm -hmm. they probably get more attention than most of the horses out yeah. there, yeah. you know? Yeah. Laureen, then a lot of people. I just got to ask you to okay. stop just for a sec. We got to wrap up this segment, but we're going to come back with Laureen, and I'm going to ask her if she can share maybe a couple of stories with us um, of horses that have been successful in their post careers. Maybe one of the seven she has at her farm, and a little bit more on the expo and uh, and the run for the ribbon show. So please stay with us on the Horse Talk Show. I'm Louisa Barton. Attention, North Central Florida, Palm Chevrolet, the area's number one volume Chevy dealer, is pre-qualifying customers for new cars without using a social security number. That's right. We don't need your social to get you qualified for a new car. Simply log on to palmchevrolet.com, enter your name and address, and instantly get your credit score, interest rate, even your payment on any new Chevy in stock. This will not affect your credit score. Log on to palmchevrolet.com and get pre-qualified now, or visit Palm Chevrolet, Southwest College Road in Ocala. Find new roads. Hi, this is Hall of Fame jockey Mike Smith. We're listening to the Horse Talk Show. And OTTB is a off-the-track thoroughbred. They are retired resources that most of them ran their whole life or part of their life and they did not do very well or did very well and retired and decided to find a new career and something else that they can succeed in. Thoroughbreds are hot-blooded horses, and they're generally bred and raised for racing. They're very athletic. They're known for their stamina, their athleticism, their speed. Most of them race from two to five years old, and then they retire um, and move on to second careers, which is where we become involved. And by giving them the expo and the horse show series, they have their own platform to compete after racing because most of them can go on and do other careers easily. We're very passionate about making sure these horses find a second career and find a new home because we love the horses, we love the animals. Run for the Ribbons is a thoroughbred retirement organization and we put on events for the thoroughbreds. We do the expo annually, which is competition for the thoroughbreds only in eight different disciplines. We also do the 100 Jumper Show Series. It consists of six to eight shows at the farm. I dedicate all my time to off-the-track thoroughbreds because they're freaking awesome and I don't know, I just love horses. <laughs> the footing is so good that 
I got on him and went out there and showed him and he just marched around like a little champion. The 2019 Expo is going to be December 6th through the 8th here at the Florida Horse Park and we think that this state's going to work better for everyone. It's going to be great weather, it's in between the polo season, it's great for adventures as there's no major horse trials then, right before hits get started for the hunter jumpers. We've got polo, we've got cross country, dressage, hunters, jumpers, working ranch, barrel racing, and then a freestyle which pretty much takes care of everything other than the seven that we mentioned before. People can come to the expo to see horses perform and then you can put a bid in to buy them. This is amazing, amazing venue. Over three days, you don't have to come for three days, you can come for one day. We give out awards and ribbons for the top six horses. She's one of the gatekeepers. How is your experience being involved with this show? It gives me a good foot in the door and it helps me get ready for my future and all the competitors are great, the horses are well prepared and everyone seems to be having a lot of fun. I can't say enough about the volunteers. You know, without them, there is no show because I can't do it alone. We're live here at the Florida Horse Park for the second day of the uh, Thoroughbred Transformation Expo. This is the stepping stone for the future of the Thoroughbred for a new career. The perfect, the footing was great, the buildings were great. We had an awesome time. A spectacular day, it's about 80 degrees, perfect weather, and we've got double the entries from last year, so we're super excited. It's our 100, 100 Jumper Show Series banquet, and it's also our fundraiser event for the year. We have a silent auction, we have door prizes, it includes dinner and you know, awards. There's an award ceremony for all of the award winners that place throughout the season in the Hunter Jumper Show series. Run for the Ribbons, Inc. would like to thank all of our competitors, spectators, volunteers, and sponsors. And we look forward to bringing you the best Florida Thoroughbred Transformation Expo in December of 2019. We hope to give away more prize money than ever before. Welcome to the Horse Talk Show presented by Palm Chevrolet, your hometown Chevy experience. Thank you to Larson Farms, our broadcast sponsor, Idaho's finest alfalfa. Shout out for Innova Spa and Wellness, wonderful place here in Ocala, providing an incredible spa experience for equestrians. You've got to try the cryo chamber. I'm Louisa Barton. In the studio with me, I have co-host Paulette Stout. I have to make excuses for her today. She is in a green shirt, so she is a floating head if you're joining us on Facebook because of the green screen. Also in the studio, we had Laureen Lockhart and uh, we've been talking about Run for the Ribbons. We've been talking about the Thoroughbred Expo here in Ocala and how incredibly versatile the Thoroughbreds are. They get off the racetrack and we love to see them have a uh, either a um, rehab time, a rest, a retirement, or um, in fact go on to a second career and be able to either jump or event or even barrel race was one of the things that we were <laughs> talking about. Um, Laureen, so you have the series of shows, the Twilight shows, which is actually a very smart idea in the summer because it's a lot cooler at Twilight. Yeah. Um, and then you have a kind of a final show for the series and then you do the expo in December. What yes. dates in December is the expo? The expo is December 6th through the 8th, so it's a three-day show. Very nice. Um, the first two days are days of competition and then the third day is the finale, so it'll be like the top six riders from each of the disciplines will come back and compete on the last day. So that day, spectators will be able to see all of the 
disciplines in one day. The other days, they've kind of spread out, so you want to look, look at the schedule because you might not get barrel racing on Friday and Saturday. It might just be Friday. We try to, like, especially, like, the eventing um, disciplines, <coughs> we try to spread those out so the horses aren't getting tired. Trying to get tired from too much. Yeah, but. we're learning. We're learning as we go, like, what works, what doesn't. And that's <laughs> at the Florida Horse Park. That's at the Florida Horse Park, I think yes. that's very exciting. It's really is nice. This, it's beautiful over there. Is this, like, um, modeled after the one in Kentucky? Is that what It is. Did? Like, and we... we um, we talked to them, and uh, Stuart Pittman was great, like, right from the beginning. He gave us his support, and, you know, he told us what he thought had worked the first year for him and ideas. And, you know, basically he told us, don't get discouraged. Like, it's going to it's gonna take grow. It's going to take mm -hmm. some time, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's similar to that, except for the difference that we also have the open division where horses that didn't race can run in our uh, – can compete in ours. And we're hoping that that will help the horses that have gone through OBS. So they did have gone race, but platform. they've like been trained, but they're not really, tr they've never gone onto the track. Or horses that um, are past like the three years. So like if they were retired five years ago, they can compete in the open division as well. Mm -hmm. Or nice. if mm -hmm. they were a three-year-old that never raced but or didn't get tattooed, they can also compete too, which is where we're a little in different. In the open? In the open, I yes. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's nice. where we can allow like, because yeah. we understand like as someone that comes from the thoroughbred racing industry, I understand, like, you, you breed seven horses a year, maybe two of them are going to get there. Yes. You know, you might have a yes. yearling ex, you know, a yeah, yearling might not hurt, even make it. And you so, know, younger or But something. they were bred for yeah. that purpose, yeah. and I feel like those horses, like, mm -hmm. you know, they need a purpose too. And so mm -hmm. by having the open division and allowing them, as long as they are registered with the jockey club to compete as well, it's opened a lot more avenues, I think, and I think it's going to help the horses you know, I think it's going to help a lot of people find outlets for horses that maybe they didn't think were going to have, you know, anything to do. That's fantastic. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Can you share with us maybe a story about um, uh, off-the-track thoroughbred that you know, they either had a, a real good, like, uh, one of those <laughs> stories makes you cry, or one of those really big, <laughs> I know, like, I don't super successful. want to go. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, like, one, I guess it's funny, because he's, like, obviously, he's dear to my heart. Um, He's a homebred, so I and but my grandfather had bred him actually before like I was down here. I moved here after high school, and this one was bred like before I lived on the farm and like knew the babies and everything. And the first time I ever saw him, I actually thought my brother had gotten a new lead pony because he was a two-year-old and he was so like little and like stocky in there. I was like, "Did you get a pony?" And he's like, "No, it's one of the two-year-olds." I was like, "Okay," you know. And I never like uh, two years later, um, my brother was gonna actually retire him, and. I looked at his form and I'm like, well, he hasn't gone long yet. I was like, I'll, I'll take him, Alan. And he's like, well, if you're going to get his papers, I want 500 for him. So I said, okay, I'll buy him from you. I bought him. We took him up to Boston with us that summer. And um, he won two races for me. Brought him down here. Now, this horse was scared of everything. Like, the biggest chicken. Like, we'd walk by a trash barrel and, like, if that thing moved, he was gone, you know. Completely gone. I was walking on one day. I, I was pregnant and like a horse came back off the track and like just walking into the barn like scared the crap out of him. He like knocked me over. He was just like one of those horses that like scared of his own shadow. And um, so now we get down here and he just couldn't compete at the, at the Florida level. You mm -hmm. know, he was mm -hmm. he was a cheaper horse. And so I retired him and I thought, you know, I, I'll make my pony. My husband um, at the time he laughed. And it was like 
you're not going to make him a pony, and I'm never riding him. You know, he never he rode him in the races and won on him. Never wanted to ride him again <laughs> because of how he was, like, as a racehorse. But I started him as a hunter jumper, and I'm like, that's not really his forte. So then we threw the Western saddle on him, and he was, he was you know, manageable. Like, I, could ex I knew, like, mm -hmm. if he was going to have one of his episodes, at least I wasn't going to get yeah. spun off. Yeah. So I started him um, Western. We've done, like, barrels. And then going into last year's expo, I was like, I really want to do the working ranch with them. Because the wow. first year we did it as racetrack pony horse slash working ranch to try to get the numbers up. Mm -hmm. Last year we did it as just working ranch. And I was like, well, he's got to like, he's got to let me swing a rope off him. And everyone was like, well, we're not like participating in that, Lorraine. Like, we're you're leaving. On, you're on yeah. your own, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> so I'm like, no, I swear you, let me do it. So I went in there. I spent like probably two days just on the ground, like showing him the rope and letting him know the rope was not going to kill him. And by, I'd say within a week, I was on his back, like swinging a rope. I could throw it out, bring it back in, wow. took him to the expo. And now when we get there, he's he went the first year and he did just barrel racing the first year. Um, so the s second year, we're back there. And I knew he did not like to go under the gate. I don't know if you've been to the livestock yes, pavilion, yeah, like yes. when they set it up for the yes, barrel racing. Yes, yes. So he's afraid to go under the entryway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and still, like, well, let me throw the rope off him, but afraid to go under the entryway. Like, yeah. just stuff like that. Like, But to see him, like, that he can do you know roping yeah. i can throw a rope on i think it's pretty it's cool yeah, yeah it's big cool. advancement for him yeah like it's just cool to like see them horses what they can do so he's one that sticks but then i've had a lot of success rehoming them with um other people too and like as far as that goes my my favorite story is probably probably this guy um he was one he was a three-year-old and so he had just run like i got him in the first like week he was with us um he was a run for the ribbons horse actually so that's why i think he's important he came to us um from Gulfstream. he was a little wild he was like 17 to gorgeous you know absolutely gorgeous um he had like a slight injury but it was it, it wasn't too bad and he at first when you turned him out you didn't think he was gonna like same thing he was just so Full, full of energy of and like yeah he's yes. just so fit still and full of himself yes. and um we gave him a little bit of downtime and then started riding him and he was he was great like we knew okay this horse has the pieces and um mm -hmm. we kept him for a little bit we got him to a few of our own shows and then found him a home with a with a junior rider a, i think she was 16 at the time that she purchased him she's going off to college now but she's taken him to shows and like competed him in the three foot and he's just like He's mm -hmm. just doing so well, and he looks so good. He's mm -hmm. he's matured so much since then, and like he was a cool horse because you most people would have been mm -hmm. like, "What did you get into mm -hmm. with this one?" You know, but it's cool. wonderful. What? So lot, lots of good success yeah. stories, and 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 let me just ask you, Laureen. I mean, it's a five hundred one c three. Yes. Um, your mission statement is to provide off track thoroughbreds with a foundation needed to ensure a smooth transition into the next career and home. Rescue, rehab, retrain, provide events, and rehome the horses, specializing in reschooling from from track to trail, whatever yeah. they whatever, <laughs> whatever they, they want to do. So, <laughs> so um, tell me just in a just really short, just make it because we're almost at the end of this segment. But just trying to tell me how why that mission is so important, and then how we can find you and more information, website, Facebook, and all of that. That mission, just because I find I feel that as a breeder as an owner and a trainer in the racing industry i just feel like it's our responsibility to to make sure that these horses have careers and like or 
just have a good life afterwards, you know, like that's what I grew up. My grandfather had a farm. When they were done, they went to the farm, they retired, they had a happy life. And I thought that's what everyone that's did. That's the way it should be. That's yeah. the way it should be. And it's just like, this helps. Our shows help. Like it gives people, we had one girl that had never shown on a thoroughbred in the last five years. She came, um, to the last show with a thoroughbred finally. And like, she's aiming for the expo. So like, we see that we're making a difference in these horses lives. And like it just makes it all worth it at the and end this, of the day. And this is big prize money that you're we, doing. Our goal this year for the 2019, if we can raise the funds this year, like we're guaranteeing a minimum of nine thousand. But if we reach our fundraising goal, we want to give out fifty thousand at this nice. event this year, which would yeah. be just Incredible. like yeah, it would be a, it would make a huge impact in Florida aftercare. Well, hopefully, the when the World Equestrian Center starts, that that could be involved in some of these. Um, you know missions yeah incredible yeah. missions Absolutely. yeah and how we how we find you facebook's uh, social facebook, media website um our website is org, so that's pretty easy and then the facebook i think we're under florida thoroughbred horse show perfect so you, so you can find out more information there I, it might be run for the ribbons run for the ribbons or show <laughs> i think if you look up for run for the ribbons you will I have no problem the i, I so found it on facebook yeah, yeah i think yes. it's run yes. for the ribbons run, thoroughbred run, horse show yeah, yeah. laureen thank facebook. you for all of your efforts <laughs> with the thoroughbreds uh, here in ocala and you know i know from the, the third year of the parade and third year of ocala jockey club events you know, the third year seems to be just yeah. that magic one yes. where people start knowing you exist. So I see this just growing and growing. And hopefully we can get to that point that um, Kentucky did with uh, with their thoroughbred makeover. And we can have hundreds of thousands of people come with their thoroughbreds and we can just encourage uh, this. But really, this show is just to emphasize, I think, to our listeners that there are so many good people out there who are looking out for the thoroughbreds post their track career and offering lots of options to show the world how versatile they are and how many different things you can uh, use them for. Laureen, thank you so much for all of your efforts. It's wonderful what you're doing. Uh, keep doing it. You are definitely on the right track. Yes. The pun. And, uh, and thank you for joining us uh, for this special segment with Run for the Ribbons. And uh, please follow Thanks them and uh, all us. these wonderful special things. Uh, they do. Great job. <laughs> and we love having you in our community. I am Louisa Barton for the Horse Talk Show. Attention, North Central Florida, Palm Chevrolet, the area's number one volume Chevy dealer, is pre-qualifying customers for new cars without using a social security number. That's right. We don't need your social to get you qualified for a new car. Simply log on to palmchevrolet.com, enter your name and address, and instantly get your credit score, interest rate, even your payment on any new Chevy in stock. This will not affect your credit score. Log on to palmchevrolet.com and get pre-qualified now. Or visit Palm Chevrolet, Southwest College Road in Ocala. Find new roads. Seminole Feed is a family-owned company always striving to exceed your expectations with our dedication to customer service since 1934. Seminole is one of the few companies today manufacturing fixed formula horse feeds with mindful monitoring of our production process to keep our nutrition safe for your horse. Using only quality ingredients and superior formulas made in an all-natural, non-medicated feed mill right here in Ocala. Seminole Feed, simply the world's best equine. 
New Horizon Insurance Solutions provides first-class customer service and ethical solutions based on over 30 years of knowledge and experience in the risk management and self-funded community. New Horizon Insurance Solutions guides clients to the best, most proven companies and individuals that assure you reach your desired goals. Services include equine and bloodstock, farm and ranch insurance, consulting and workers' compensation. Contact Nigel at nigelwarbank at gmail.com for more. We're a unique, tough breed. We work long, hard hours making sure your horses are healthy and properly shod. Because, well, we farriers know horses perform better when they're properly shod and healthy. You want quality horse products, supplements, and farrier supplies at affordable prices. And you won't settle for anything less. TT Distributors is dedicated to quality horse products, supplements, and farrier supplies at affordable prices. Racehorse or a pasture pony, TT Distributors has what you need. 7715 West Highway 40, Ocala. Hi, this is Hall of Fame jockey Mike Smith. We're listening to the Horse Talk Show. Welcome to the Horse Talk Show. I'm Louisa Barton. In the uh, studio with me, I have Paulette Stout, horse trainer, top equestrian, and my co-host. I also have special guest in the studio with me, Laureen Lockhart from Run for the Ribbons. And joining us now by phone, I have Michael Blowen from Old Friends in Kentucky. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about thoroughbred aftercare and about uh, rehab, retraining, um, uh, the makeovers, the thoroughbred makeovers, and many of the successful organizations uh, in America and across the world that are looking after thoroughbreds after their racetrack career. This segment is brought to you by Palm Chevrolet, your hometown Chevy experience, and thank you to Larson Farms. They are our broadcast sponsor, Idaho's finest alfalfa. Michael, it's lovely to have you back with us on the Horse Talk Show again. Uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for all of your incredible efforts there in Kentucky. Um, for our listeners, Michael, will you tell us a little bit of background about old friends? Sure. And we started Old Friends in uh, 2003 with uh, two horses, and now we care for more than uh, 200. Uh, we're basically a we're a totally retirement organization. I'm not talented enough to retrain or rehab these horses. So, uh, they just come here and tell me what to do. It works out pretty well. Um, and we have some horses here that have gone on to second careers, and this is their third career as. Uh, as uh, you know, they're they're wonderful for the visitors, and people get to visit these great old horses. And so we're basically a tourist destination, and our bait is to come and see all these great old horses and feed them some carrots. That's wonderful. And I know you've got a lot of horses there, Michael. But how many are there now between the two farms? Uh, we have more than two hundred now. Oh my gosh! And uh, and we're trying to get a little more room for get a little more space for a few more because we have many on the waiting list. I mean, our latest acquisition is Einstein, uh, who's one of my favorite racehorses ever, and we're grateful to Adina Springs and Frank Stronach for donating him to us. You know, he needed some surgical work, and Adina Springs and the Stronach group paid for it all, and it's worked out really well for him especially and, and for us in general. So. That's absolutely wonderful. Now, one of the things when I visited there that I really loved is, even though you have uh, quite a few very famous horses, very well-known names, which is a wonderful pull to get tourists to come and enjoy the farm, you also have a bunch of unknown names, correct? Yes, 
for every big horse we get, like, you know, Silver Charm and War Emblem and Alphabet Soup and Sarava and Touch Gold and, and all these great horses and Game on Dude and all, all these wonderful horses, uh, we try to get one who's more anonymous, uh, you know, some $3,500 claimer that just needs a home. Oh. And we've got our share of those, too. We have a wonderful horse named Archie's Echo. Uh, he, uh, it's funny, Archie, Archie's Echo is a lovely, lovely horse. And we didn't get him until he was, he had some problems and we fixed them all up. And he recently had to go to Root and Riddle. He got an infection. He's 29 years old now. Oh my God. He went to Root and Riddle and got the same uh, surgeons as all the big horses get over there from Larry Bramlage and all of his colleagues. And I said to Larry, I said, when's the last time you had a $3,500 claiming gelding who was 29 years old that got this sort of surgery? <laughs> and he laughed. He said, I think it's never happened. Oh. We're, we're going to put Archie Echo's picture up there on the oh. wall of fame of great horses that have been uh, worked on by Rude and Riddle. Oh, well, he is a great horse. That's fantastic. That's so wonderful to hear. Michael, when you were a kid, you were not really in love with horses, were you? What, what, what kind of turned it around for you? Well, I liked drinking and gambling. Uh, <laughs> that was always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I had actually, when I was working at the Boston Globe, I had an editor who was a genius. And he took my rather dull gray prose and, and would flip it around like it was a Rubik's Cube. And in like literally two minutes, he'd turn a, a C or a C minus a piece into a, a B plus piece or an A minus piece and I said I gotta hang around with this guy <laughs> and one day he took me to the racetrack and uh, I, I as I said I really liked the gambling and the drinking part of it and it wasn't until much later that I apprenticed myself out to a bottom level claiming trainer named Carlos Figueroa uh -huh. at Suffolk University uh, at Suffolk University at Suffolk Downs that was my universe <laughs> the king of the bears <laughs> So you felt like there was a really big need for an aftercare uh, organization and started with just two horses uh, and one leased paddock uh, and then grown yeah. and expanded from there into uh, into an incredible organization. And, and I know that the news about Ferdinand dying um, in a slaughterhouse overseas was a um, in Japan was a really big part. Uh, uh, bringing the spotlight to to this need and to have you jump in. And um, I love the story about the banker. Uh, I have to share this. Like, it was so interesting that um, when they asked for a loan from the bank, the banker came out actually and, um, and said that uh, they initially they were going to have difficulty getting the loan from the bank. Uh, and actually one of your horses at the farm beat the banker's horse, correct? Yes, that's correct. We had a wonderful horse named Taylor Special, who in 1984 won several stakes races, including the Bluegrass. And what is the favorite? One of one of the favorites going into the Kentucky Derby, and he beat a horse named Fight Over. And Mr. Whitaker owned Fight Over. He was incensed that uh, we had uh, we had Taylor Special, but got him 
really excited about it. And I, I told him, I said, think of it this way, Mr. Whitaker. If you loan us some money, I'll put up Taylor's Specialist Collateral and you finally own yourself a good award. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Taylor was an interesting story because Taylor was found by a wonderful group up in the state of Washington called Hope for Horses. Somebody just abandoned him in the woods. Aww. So, you know, he was just wandering around. So when we got him, he really looked terrible, I have to say. He was cut up. And, you know, he's underweight. And it's nothing we couldn't solve. And, and eventually we, we did. And he, he lived out a nice long life here. Aww. But at first I wasn't even sure whether I should show him to Mr. Whitaker because he looked so terrible. Aww. But as a journalist who believes that, you know, you, the only time you get into trouble is when you try to hide something or lie. Mm. I showed him the horse and... and Really, Taylor was the one who was responsible for Mr. Whitaker uh, initiating the loan and getting us a loan so we could buy this farm with no money. So incredible. So mm. awesome. Wonderful stories. And uh, and I have personally visited Old Friends several times and, and it is one of the most touching places. And you, you usually catch Michael blowing out with a big bucket of carrots, um, mm. feeding these horses uh, some, some, some carrots and they love to see him coming. And uh, the last time we were there, he handed us the bucket and uh, we actually got to go with the McCathans uh, who trained Silver Charm here, Florida bred Silver Charm. And we got to feed carrots to him, which was just an um, incredible experience that, um, that, you know, I think everybody should have a chance to uh, go and visit old friends. It's uh, such an experience. Michael, what about a heart horse for you? Favorite of all time? Yeah, it happens to be Silver Charm. <laughs> Um, you know, I never even laid eyes on Silver Charm until he came back here. And he was the seventh horse that we were able to repatriate from Japan. We have a really good relationship with the Japanese breeders now and the JPBA and Mr. Yoshida at, at Shaddai Stallion. So, you know, we brought uh, Gaijin home and Sunshine Forever and, uh, and Silver Charm. Uh, so and awesome. War Emblem and, and others, and it's been really, really a, a wonderful, wonderful relationship. But I, w I always loved, I always loved Silver Charm. And when they told me after standing at stud for 11 years in Japan that he was going to come home and come to old friends, I, it was one of the great moments of my life by far. Incredible! Mm. How awesome is that? I love it. Michael Blowing up. He just turned 25. He did. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> It's just an incredible horse, and uh, what an incredible organization. Michael, um, people can find you on the website and um, also on social media and follow um, the horses and your organization. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that that's a great way to, uh, to follow what, you're, what you guys are doing there. And, uh, and I just love it all. Uh, and that is Old Friends uh, Retirement, Thoroughbred Retirement Farm in Kentucky. And they have a second farm in New York and a total of a couple of hundred horses that they're looking after, whether they're superstars or, or just a claimer. Uh, they all get the same wonderful treatment and they all get uh, incredible care. So uh, we love what you're doing. Anything else that you would like to add, Michael? No, I'd just like to thank all the fans of all these great athletes for coming to see him and, and supporting us and just allowing us to, to raise the money and get the facilities and expand so we can give, uh, we can give this kind of quality health care to all the horses. I mean, we're so grateful to all the, all the hospitals around here and our veterinarian, Dr. Walters, been our veterinarian for more than five years. He's never sent us a bill. Uh, to everybody, especially a park equine clinic, because they never sent us a bill. And, and uh, 
and uh, and and and, and uh, they get to go to rehab and get to go to all these facilities because because of the generosity of uh, all these people in racing and that's the one I thing I'd really like to emphasize I know that the publicity is bad and I know there's a few bad apples believe me I saw a lot of them when I was working for Carlos uh, <laughs> that, are, that are kind of besmirching uh, be, be the sport but when you get right down to it these athletes are just amazing it was a great Belmont Stakes victory for Sir Winston yes. um, and and I, I, I just adore it and we, we can do a better job taking care of them but, but we're, I think we're all headed in the right direction I do too. There are a lot of wonderful people in this sport, and um, and they are and 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 by far more good people than there are bad. And yes, there are a few bad people in every sport, and there's a few bad people in in everything in this world. But thankfully, there are an awful lot of good people too. And now uh, we talked to a lot of them uh, today, and uh, and I'm excited. We got a chance to chat to Graham Motion from the TCA and all the wonderful things that they do, run for the ribbons and their incredible efforts here in Ocala. And a chance to talk to Michael Blowen in Kentucky and hear about the fabulous job they're doing. And how we'll we'll certainly continue to support you, Michael. Hold on one sec. How many people go to that farm? You know, oh, per lots. Year? Do they oh, have do they lots of tours? Like oh, how it's many, fabulous. Is it how many a day? Do you know about how many visit a year, Michael? Yeah, it's just it's around twenty thousand a year now. Oh my God! Know, isn't that amazing? It's fantastic. <laughs> it's the most wonderful tour. It's the best value for money. Yeah, Every yeah, time yeah, I go, yeah. we do a you know yeah. a donation because it's so inexpensive to yeah, go. It's yeah. crazy, and and I think that and they have a little gift shop and everything. Well, it's oh, kind of neat when you see horses on the TV and then you can actually touch them. Oh yeah, so you can go and see them and there's and they've got mm. some superstars yeah. there. It's wonderful. It's awesome. Michael Blowen, old friends in Kentucky. Thank you so much for joining us. It's always such an honor and a pleasure and thank you for the incredible work and love that you give um, these horses it's uh, it's the best it's incredible and it's uh, a real true blessing to know you thank you so much thank you louise i hope you'll come back soon and and, and your listeners will as well absolutely thank you michael blowing it old friends uh, what a wonderful guy what a great incredible retirement home that is and and if you are in kentucky that has to be part of your stops and visits has to be at old friends it's um it's unbelievable it's just an incredible tour and uh, they've even got a miniature horse there they've got some famous horse graves that you can actually visit which is really special and um, it's just a beautiful place and, and silver charm is there so um, that's a, a, a real reason for a, uh, a visit so wonderful guys thank you so much Laureen thank you Paulette uh, I, I'm coming to the end of the show wherever you are uh, whether you get to be in the horse capital, Ocala, Marion County, Florida or not. I'm Louisa Barton for the Horse Talk Show. Happy horsing around. <laughs>